We don't like change. None of us. Now, this is not something that just said about older adults. It applies to all of us. Whether we like it or not, change does not, we do not like it when change happens. But welcome to Bible Studies for Life, the adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And in this particular session, we're going to consider how do we respond to change? I mean, what changes do we embrace? What happens when culture changes occur? Those changes that are at odds with what we believe. That's what I'd like for us to talk about today. Chris. So we are continuing our study on staying true in a world far from God. And this is our fourth session uh, out of one of the uh, chapters in Daniel. Uh, we've, we've looked at uh, several weeks of content so far. Uh, G.B. Howell is back with us. He did uh, the first session with us on our podcast. And G.B. is the writer of the personal study guide content for this study. So welcome back, G.B. Well, thank you, Chris. I'm glad I get to be with you again today. So tell these people about um, a change or an innovation in your life that you have gladly embraced, GB. So I'm, I'm setting you up because you're the guy that was uh, forever flip phone that finally. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I will let you know that I am holding on to all of my eight track tapes because I think they're going to make a huge comeback. <laughs> Does that tell you anything? Uh, so anyway, I do, I do have, that is probably my latest innovation. I do have a smartphone. So I'm not one to say, oh, oh, it's the brightest, newest, shiniest. So anyway. Oh, oh but more than that, you have an iWatch, wa right? I do. I do. Or an and, Apple and Watch. I do. And, and that was a funny thing about this lesson. When I thought about that and was writing this, um, I was in my car and I said out loud in my car, um, I told my car to call my sister and so and what happened was that my car heard that it activated my watch activated my cell phone and next thing i know i'm talking to my sister in my car and i haven't touched a button or anything and that was just as foreign to me growing up i mean i used to see on the beverly hillbillies um that the banker had a phone in the back seat and i thought man that there's no way that'll ever happen but it did we are uh, looking today at Daniel 6. This is the, the most famous Daniel story, I think. I think it's the one that most people will know. It is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And uh, GB, after Lynn has read a little bit of this, I want you to talk about the, the significance of lions uh, in, the, uh, in the Babylonian world. Well, yeah, but before we, we look at Daniel 6, last week we were in Daniel 5. And I think it's important because as we jump into Daniel 6, there's been a lot of changes. GB, if you could bring us up to speed, because in our last session, there was Daniel uh, discussing the writing on the wall. And now we've got a whole different leader that we're looking at in Daniel 6. So give us kind of what happened in between here. What happened was um, Babylon actually fell to the Persians. These are known as the Medo-Persians. They were separate, but yet united. And what happened was that Babylon was ultimately conquered. Persia became the dominant ruling nation of the ancient Near East. And so what we're seeing is we're watching a turning of a page of significance, of rule, of leaders, of capitals, 
of laws, all of that is changing. And um, part, part of what uh, King Cyrus did when he first came into office was he signed an edict and allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem, to uh, Judah. And so that's what they did. Some of them did. Some of them, the Jews, though, remained over in what was ancient Babylon because they had grown comfortable there. They had raised their children there. They had embraced the culture and many returned. Some stayed behind. Now we come into Daniel 6 and we've got Darius who's, who's in charge. And what we see initially uh, is that Daniel, uh, excuse me, Darius had appointed these 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm. But in the process, he chose over them three satraps, including Daniel. And Daniel really distinguished himself. But the problem was it caused a whole mess of jealousy and envy from the others. So these others sought ways to kill, uh, to kill Daniel. So we're going to pick up in verse 6. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish an edict and sign the document so that, as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So Darius Mede signed the written edict. So when Daniel learned that the documents had been signed, he went to his house, and the windows in the upstairs were open toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, he prayed, and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Now, you see here, a law has just been enacted, but those changing circumstances for Daniel did not change his resolve to honor and obey God. You see here in this passage that he is the king. He's in charge. Now, you know, a lot of those cultures, the king's in charge. He can do kind of whatever he wants to do. It's good to, good to be the king. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be the king. You, you can knock his head off. You, you can see, you want to throw him in a lion's den? You can do that. Yet here is this law of the Medes and Persians that they keep reminding him, hey, it cannot be broken. So my question is, he's the king. Why can't he just do what he wants? <laughs> that is a great question. And it does seem like it would be that way to us. The real question behind this whole story, both signing the decree and also Daniel in the lion's den, the real question is whose king is greater and stronger? Now, we see how that is pretty easy in the lion's den, but it also applies to this law being irrevocable. There were two thoughts related to this. When a king signed a document, he did so with his signet ring, and it was placed into clay, soft clay, which is what they wrote their documents in. That's why archaeology has so many fragments of those left. Well, when it became a royal decree, if the king changed it after that, it would make it look like, from an earthly standpoint, it make it look like the king didn't know what he was doing. It'd make him seem weak, unstable, 
and basically unable to rule. And so it, it was for his own reputation. So, for, so that was kind of an earthly reason, but the divine reason was the king was a representative of the people's God on the earth. And so once the king issued a decree, it was as if the people's God has spoken and to change that would be considered blasphemous. And, and, and doing that would make it seem like the king was going against what their God or gods had originally wanted. So his reputation was on the line. He was opening himself to ridicule from the people, from the religious leaders, but also it was a blasphemous thing to say, my God didn't know what he was telling us to do. Okay, so what we see here is Daniel, who obviously has been a loyal servant to the king as he was to the king before him and the king before him. And by the way, let me just stop here. As we're talking about Daniel, he's had these years of service. How old is Daniel at this point? That is a great question. And it is a great question because what we often picture in our mind or we've seen uh, in posters that are used in Sunday school classes, those aren't accurate because those often depict him as a teenager, as a young man. But at this point, not just years, but decades had passed. Biblical scholars think he was probably 80 years old when he was thrown into the lion's den. 80 years old. Correct. And completely unwilling to compromise his convictions. And so what I see here is a man who has obviously had a consistent walk with God and a consistent service to whoever was in charge at that moment. Yet now, 80 years old, he's not going to change his ways in the sense of, you know, I followed God all this time. I'm not changing now. He goes up, goes into his room, faces toward Jerusalem, and he prays. But that act, and, and I think the satraps, they all know of his convictions. They know this is the trap they've been able to, to capture him in. So when you come to verse 11, you come back to these men. It says, then these, these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, as the law of the Medes and the Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed, for he prays three times of day. They have set Daniel up, and I think in that moment, the king kind of goes, uh-oh. I, I think you're right. I think that they wanted to paint him into a corner. They had him set up this law. They had him put his signet on it. They reminded him it was irrevocable. Oh, and by the way, there's this guy. We all know that he's so respectable, and you can just hear them saying that in quotation marks. He is so respectable. By the way, he's the one who's disobeyed your edict. And you know, for a lot of people, in our, I'm saying in our culture, let's say something like this, where you're not allowed to to pray like this. There's a lot of people that would, well, okay, I can still pray to God. I could just, you know, pray silently. I can just, you know, just be sitting there, look like I'm just minding my own business. But in my heart, I can pray because God hears me. Yet Daniel did not compromise in any way in his convictions on how he sought to pray. 
even to the point of uh, opening his door where it faced Jerusalem. Now, can we talk about what's the significance and the importance of why he faced Jerusalem? That is a great question. The reason for that is because God had revealed his glory when the temple was built. God had revealed his glory. He had descended into that temple. And you think back to Solomon and the glorious dedication ceremony they had, and the Lord descended and smoke filled that place. It was a symbol of God's presence among his people. Well, even though the temple had been destroyed, the children of Israel who were in Babylonian captivity, now Persian captivity, they recognized that still as a holy place. And the reason for that was because God had promised that his glory would return to the temple, to Jerusalem. And so it was the contact point, if you will, spiritually for the people of God. That became their tradition, their habit. They faced Jerusalem, they faced the temple, and they prayed to God faithfully. I'm reminded when I read this account, GB, of when you come into Acts chapter 5, where Peter and John are before the, the Jewish leaders, and they say whether, you know, you know, we're going to obey God rather than men. And here's Daniel centuries earlier, essentially doing the same thing. Uh, you're not going to come between me and my God. And it's not always easy to do. You know, it's not always easy. But part of what this story reminds me is the time to make that decision. And that commitment is before the trying hour arrives. We establish those convictions early and we stick by them. So one of the questions that we ask from a discussion perspective is, again, it's it. so this is a great story. It's great to see this example of Daniel. But in what ways have you seen individuals experience opposition to their faith? How does that happen today? How have you, when have you had the experience of observing or seeing someone taking a stand for their faith um, in the face of opposition and, and uh, pot potential consequences uh, for doing so. So uh, my hope is that this will create some conversation where people can tell stories of modern day Daniels who've been willing to take those kind of stands for God. So there are, there are two people, two, two men in my life who I, I know by, by their stories, who have made decisions that they were going to remain faithful to the Lord and um, uh, not bow to the culture that they were in where it cost them their jobs. Um, one was in my home church. One was in a church where I served as a student pastor. And, um, and these men had strong convictions and beliefs. And uh, they, uh, in, in both instances, they were, they were in sales and they were being told by their uh, upline uh, leaders to take clients out and wind them and dine them literally and uh, to take them to places that these guys would not normally go. So they refused. They would say, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a Christian. I don't go to places like that. I don't do these kind of things. And in both cases, it costs these guys their jobs. So um, I'm grateful for for their stories and their testimonies, not not just hundreds of years ago in the Bible, but to in in our world, people that we know who've made those kind of uh, decisions. And, and I think Chris, we're going to see that more and more as our world becomes increasingly secular. 
it, it's almost as if it's becoming antagonistic towards Christians and people of faith. But GB, as we live out our commitment to the Lord, uh, th- that just can't help, but it's, it's going to point to God, point to the one that we're seeking to honor. And we certainly see this in a very dramatic way here in Daniel's life in Daniel chapter six with the whole lion's den. You come down to verse 16, uh, Daniel six. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Now, let me go down to verse 21. Then uh, The king has come. The, the next morning to check on him. And then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they haven't harmed me, for I was found innocent before him. And also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he had trusted in his God. Yeah, absolutely. It shows a dramatic change in the king's heart. And I I just believe by him going in the morning and opening that den, that lion's den, that there was a hope in his heart that he had been wrong in putting Daniel there. And he wanted to see Daniel alive the next morning. So GB, in in your writing about um, this culture and this time, um, you you said some things um, that were new to me uh, I, I was not aware of the significant uh, significance of lions in that culture, and you you wrote about the procession way and the Ishtar Gate. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, and to add to uh, the significance of this moment, um, when you entered ancient Babylon, it was a visual feast. It had um, towering uh, ziggurats, which were a place of worship. And there were walls, city walls that surrounded the city. All four of them were about 10 miles long. And the wall itself was about 25 feet thick. And when they entered, like you said, Babylon, they came through the Ishtar Gate. And and the procession way was lined with those same blue tiles. And on those were bulls and also lions and ancient depictions of Ishtar often show Ishtar riding on the back of a lion to the point that the lion itself became the symbol for the god Ishtar. So it was often depicted as just the lion without the god riding on its back. And so what we have here is we have a reminder of the strength of ancient Babylon and its god Ishtar. And what this comes down to is it's coming down in lion's den to who is the greater God? Is it the God of Ishtar, the Babylonians, the Persians, or is it the God of Daniel, the God of the Israelites? And so that's what this is coming down to. It's it's a battle of whose God is the greatest. It was a visual reminder, and throwing Daniel to the lion's den was a way for the king to say, our God is greater. Yet we see here (laughs) quite the opposite. As he said there, uh, 
God, he, God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth and they haven't harmed me. Um, and I think that's just such an incredible testimony there uh, that he, because he had trusted his Lord that for the King and for others to acknowledge the greatness of Daniel's God, our God. Of course, and then the other side of this is too, what happened right after this, the King took all those guys who had, ratted on you know ratted on daniel they got thrown into the the lion's den and, and their small g god did not preserve them they were destroyed and killed by those lions so we see in daniel's life this devotion to god this commitment to follow him he's known as a person of integrity through uh, these different administrations um people know that he follows his God. If we're going to get him, we need to get him because of his devotion to God. So um, one of the questions that we asked to close this out is what are some habits or some practices that help us to demonstrate our trust in God? Um, if Daniel is known for going to his roof and praying three times with the windows open facing Jerusalem, what, what are the habits in our lives, not necessarily to be seen by everyone, but what are the habits that help to communicate that we are faithful to God and that we serve him? What are the habits or the practices that we will count on in times when um, our, we experience opposition to our faith? And as GB has pointed out with that, those are questions we need to asking in the good days when life is not a challenge. Uh, developing those practices and disciplines when it's easy to do them. So that when it's not easy, it's such an ingrained habit for us that it just comes natural. GB, thank you for uh, participating in another uh, podcast with us and really giving us a really enlightening us on so many uh, aspects of this session. Well, thank you for letting me be with you. It's a joy. I always enjoy studying the word, learning new stuff. And excited to be able to talk about it. Thank you, those of you who are our listeners to this podcast. Uh, we hope that this has been helpful and beneficial to you. Many of you are leaders of groups, and so we hope that this will help you as you lead your groups. But uh, we just hope that it has encouraged you in your faith and your walk with God. And we pray for God's blessings on you as you open God's words to, word together this week. 